Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. Another beautiful week of soccer. What is on tap tonight on Soccer Weekly? It's sponsored by Pocock Brewing. Visit PocockBrewing.com to see what's on tap right now in their tasting room. Pocock Brewing Company, embrace life, drink good beer. we got a lot to get to. What is on tap? We've got MLS News, LA Galaxy, and LAFC, both in action earlier on the weekend. We'll also have a, a preview of what's to come for both of these teams coming up this weekend. Some big games, including one you'll hear right here on ESPN LA 710 as LAFC take on Vancouver tomorrow night. we got a UEFA Champions League. The draw coming up tomorrow. Could be some interesting matchups there. Tomorrow morning, Friday morning, we'll have the Champions League semifinal draw as we now know who the four teams are in the UEFA Champions League semis and the CONCACAF Champions League. Oh, man. So much to get to. We dive right in now with LA Galaxy and LAFC having a weekend to forget last weekend in Major League Soccer. And the funny part about it is, look, they had the El, El Trafico, the L.A. Derby. That's a game where you can kind of point a finger and go, ha-ha, ha-ha, we beat you or you beat us. You know, it, it's, it's a game that can have a result, potentially. Of course, you can always get a draw going, I guess. But it's a game where you're looking at it like, well, the Galaxy now have bragging rights, right? They came back from 3-0 down. They win that one. The problem becomes the next weekend. For both teams, there's a hangover. No matter what anyone tells you, it was so emotional and just so raw what happened on March 31st, the first ever game between those two sides in the L.A. Derby, the El Trafico, that it almost seemed inevitable that they were going to have a letdown in the second in the game after that. And both teams did not play well. Galaxy losing to Sporting Kansas City 2-0. LAFC got drubbed 5-0 at Atlanta. That was a 2-0 game. That got out of hand. So neither team performed particularly well. There were some bright spots amongst it. Actually, when Zlatan came in as a substitute, again with the team trailing, this time 2-0, they actually played a lot better. They made Tim Melia make a lot of saves in the Kansas City net, which he was able to do. But I have some questions. Where is Ola Kamara? Is this Jossie Zardes 2.0? So is it the system? Is it the players around him? Because Jossie's scoring goals in Columbus. Ola Kamara scored buckets of goals in Columbus. Couldn't stop scoring. He's got one for the Galaxy. Now, look, it happens. Goal scores go in stretches. We know this. But is it more than just coincidence that the dude that everybody decided couldn't score anymore and wasn't playing well in the system, Jossie, is lighting it up for Greg Berhalter in Columbus and the guy that we traded for, the Galaxy getting Ola Kamara back, can't quite find the back of the net consistently enough. Makes you go, hmm, what is it? Is it the system? Well, what I believe it is, is the Galaxy roster is just not firing yet. Geo, Zlatan just getting going. Certainly had a, a massive start, no doubt, but he's he's just getting going. Roman Alessandrini coming back from injury. Sebastian Legette still finding his feet, no pun intended. And I'll tell you one guy who has to get playing better who's out there is Ama Boateng. He's got to play better. Bottom line, this guy is, is in a year where the trajectory should continue to be going up, and he's not getting it done. But there's one factor also when we have to remember about the Galaxy coming back off that the worst season they've ever had. MLS is much improved over the last few years. 
And you can actually point to a specific player on the galaxy to absolutely determine how much better MLS has gotten over the last five, six, seven years, handful of years. One guy. You know what his name is? It's Jonathan Dos Santos. Why, you say, Denholm, why here on Soccer Weekly, which you can hear each and every week here on ESPN LA 710, would you point to Jonathan Dos Santos as the prime example as to why MLS has gotten so much better? I'll tell you why. Because 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, Jonathan Dos Santos, a player like that, would have been dominant in MLS. He would have come in and ruined the league. He's that good. He comes in right now. And he's a solid player. He's good. Right? He's talented. No doubt. He's a good signing. But he's not dominant. And he's not even close to that. And 15 years ago, if you got a guy with Jonathan Dos Santos' pedigree and his skill, he would have laid into MLS week in and week out. Without doubt. 10 years ago. Five years ago. That's how much better the league has gotten. He's a good player. Right? He's solid. He's not dominant. So it's not just about, oh, the Galaxy have to get better and have to, the league has gotten a lot better. They got to get a lot better to get more consistent. Speaking of consistency, this is what you get with an expansion team, right? We see the highs and lows already in four games. And remember, LAFC just getting going. They don't they've only played four games. It was a two nil game against Atlanta that got crazy in the end. You don't think you're going to go into Atlanta and necessarily be favored to get a point even. No, no way. Atlanta's that good. That's fine. Now, LAFC has to get better, right? The offense has to keep flowing. Marco Arrhenia has to get better. He's got to start scoring. This is what this team needs. But I do think there's a couple of positives you can take from this, right? You did get the six points to start. The offense does move the football very nicely at times. And even Bob Bradley has talked about how they're they're definitely positives. They're hitting a wall around the 60th minute mark, it seems, every game. That's got to improve. Because you're not going to get less tired as the season goes on. You're not going to get less worn out. So that has to improve. Joao Moutinho, i got to tell you, it's a perfect time for this guy to get a little rest. Now, he gets the red card. It was very unjustified. I mean, it was bad. That was a harsh call to give the kid a penalty kick on that. He put his arm up to protect his nose from being blown off his face from a free kick. I mean, come on, ref. Have a little discretion. But it might be a good time for him to sit out a game, right? Get some rest. Take a peek at the game from the bench, from the stands, wherever. You got the red card. Probably a good time to peel back a little bit on that. So we'll see how that all shakes out. How it's shaking out in the Champions League's Both the UEFA and CONCACAF have been incredible. They really have. Did you see what has gone down in the CONCACAF Champions League and the UEFA Champions League this week? If you didn't, shame on you. Roma comes back with a 3-0 victory over Barcelona to move past them on aggregate. 4-4, they get the road goal in the first leg. Roma has been... You know what? It makes me feel a lot better about my Shakhtar Donetsk pick. Because Donetsk battled Roma tooth and nail and lost on road goals. Right, Everybody was looking at me like, oh, you're picking Shakhtar Donetsk? They're not that... They are very good. And you know why? Because Roma's very good. And they proved it, winning over Barcelona. Liverpool cruises by Man City. This is the biggest shock in terms of how it happened. 
Liverpool just overran him in the first leg and then just wouldn't let up. Even despite giving up that early goal against City in the second leg, you thought, uh-oh, no. Liverpool too good. Bayern Munich gets by Sevilla. Bayern hasn't really, wasn't really tested after that first leg getting two road goals. And then Real Madrid hang on with that controversial penalty, which I thought was a penalty. But it's just a tough way to go out for Juventus. Gigi Buffon loses his mind, gets the red card. Real Madrid gets a goal from Ronaldo in the 97th minute, which puts him through 4-3 on aggregate. Look, Real Madrid, say what you will about Barcelona versus Real Madrid when it comes to the Champions League. Barcelona plays badly. Uh Uh-oh, they're out. Real Madrid doesn't play that great against Juventus. They find a way. That's what Real Madrid does. That's what Cristiano Ronaldo does. They find a way when they're not playing well. And they didn't play terrible. Juventus was just riding high and deserved to get the victory on the day. But Real Madrid gets through. And I want my ultimate Champions League Final Four to look like this. The draw is Friday morning. I want Roma against Real Madrid. That could be 10-9 in aggregate. (laughs) The way those two teams go at it. And then I want Bayern Munich to take on Liverpool. I want to see Liverpool tested against a team like this. No disrespect to City. I think they're great for the Premier League. But man, it also goes to show you how desperately they need Sergio Aguero at 100% health. He is so good. Man City, nowhere near as good without him being completely healthy. Bottom line. And speaking of Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions League has been so awesome. To see Toronto get to the final the way they did. We'll talk about Chivas first. The GOATs get by a team who really basically was a GOAT in New York Red Bulls. Going back home, the Red Bulls, they need a 2-0 victory, right? Because Chivas wins 1-0 at home. Red Bulls can't even get on the board. I know they outshot Chivas 20-1, to and everybody's going to look at that and say, oh, they were so much better. They really didn't threaten. Coda made one big save. One or two good saves. That's it. Most of the Red Bull shots landed in Manhattan from their Harrison, New Jersey. That's how bad the shots were. Don't give me this 20-1 to 1 they dominated. Red Bulls looked flat. They looked listless. Chivas played a perfect game, knowing what they needed to do. Almeida had them set up again very well. Chivas is not very good, talent-wise. They're the fourth best team out of the Final Four in Champions League. And they get through. And you know what? They deserved it. They were better. They were better than the Red Bulls in the, in the two legs. Bottom line. So they deserve it. Toronto taking on America. This was, to me, one of the most awesome things I've ever seen come out of MLS. The way TFC got by Tigris, right? We knew they were good. Tigris was fantastic. It was a battle. But to then go and take on America, winning 3-1 at home, and the goal that separated it all was that second goal by Josie Altador before the half in the first leg. That was the difference. TFC then goes down to Azteca, right? We assume, uh-oh, Club America only needs a 2-0 win, right? This could be 4-0 by the time they get done. They're just going to keep coming at them in waves. Piojo's side is not going to stop. Too much talent. Oribe, Peralta, and the like. Too much talent. Uh-uh. I, if you go back and watch that, if you didn't see it, shame on you. Toronto FC was never tested. They were dominating at Azteca against a great Club America side. How many times can you say that about an MLS team going down to Mexico? Look, they've had some results recently. They're playing better down in Mexico, no doubt. But come on. Toronto FC went into the lion's den. 
in front of the Club America fans, knowing Club America is going to have to come pouring forward and just they're going to have to score. And Piojo's side never really had a chance. That's how good Toronto FC is. They're the clear favorites over Chivas. Doesn't mean Chivas can't win, mind you. <laughs> it's going to be tough. And I'll tell you why. Because the referee gave a cheap penalty to America late in that game. Totally makes a difference when America scores that goal. Now Toronto has the home leg first. And then has to go down to Estadio Akron for that second leg in Guadalajara. So Chivas is certainly capable. But TFC is so good. It will be a crying shame if they don't win and go to the Club World Cup. They're that good. They deserve to play a Real Madrid coming out of whoever wins Europa or I'm sorry, Europe's Champions League and, and the Copa Libertadores champion of South America. They deserve to play the champion of the Asian Champions League. That's how good Toronto is. Much better than any team I've seen in CONCACAF in a long time. They are that good. Amazing stuff. Wow. Hey, we still have the black and gold breakdown. We'll take a look at that coming up. Coming up later in the show as well, Vancouver Whitecaps have a game with LAFC coming up tomorrow. You'll hear it right here on ESPN LA 710. We'll talk with the Whitecaps defender midfielder, Breck Shea. Still to come also, stoppage time toward the end of the show. Always our favorite here. I am Dave Dunholm. You are listening to Soccer Weekly here on ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. Welcome back. I am Dave Denholm. This is the home of world football here in Southern California. We're hanging out with you here each and every week like we do. Don't forget, you can podcast the show. You can listen to it on iTunes or all your other podcatchers. Go check it out. If you're on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show, please. I can take it if you don't like it. We love you to subscribe, rate, review. Leave me a little review. Tell me your thoughts. I know you're going to love the show. Of course, you already do. So feel free on iTunes to give us the subscription, the rate, and the review there. Just search for Soccer Weekly. We appreciate the support we've been getting on there. Social media, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Talk Soccer. You can follow me on Instagram, Dave underscore Denholm, spelled like my name. It is time now for one of our favorite segments. It's the LAFC Black and Gold Breakdown. One, two, three, breakdown! It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. Breakdown. Break it down like this. Breakdown. LAFC coming off a second straight loss. Taking on Atlanta United on the last Saturday, and it was a rough game. Atlanta, always difficult to play against. Certainly far more difficult to play against at home at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Huge crowd again. Nearly some 50,000 saw that game. And LAFC really could not really get untracked offensively. And that was the key. You know you're not going to stop Atlanta United at home. They were averaging something like 2.9 goals per game in their history at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, or at least as a home team at the beginning of the last season all the way through the early parts of this season. Atlanta United scores goals for fun at home. And that you knew that you were not going to get a shutout going on there, so you had to get the offense going. LAFC had a couple of chances, nothing dramatic. It just would not click in the final third against Atlanta United. And let's be fair, against a makeshift back line for Atlanta United, who did a great job through Jeff Laurentowitz and Darlington Nagby in disrupting the offensive flow for LAFC. Now, you can also argue that you got to start looking at some defensive issues for LAFC. In the last 120-plus minutes, remember, a 60-minute mark roughly for LA, for the Galaxy game, plus the 90 against Atlanta United, you've been outscored 9 nothing. That's not going to get it done. We all know the number, 9-0. It's been talked about on social media. 
That's a lot of goals to give up in that time. Now, in fairness, again, the Atlanta United game was a 2-0 game. I've been talking about it, and I will continue to talk about it. That thing got out of hand late. The referee didn't do any favors to LAFC, and the thing just got nuts. It happens. That I'm not that worried about. It is more about where LAFC needs to go now as a team in this game against Vancouver. Because remember, you got the Vancouver road game coming up. You'll hear it right here on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app tomorrow night. 7.01 for the kickoff, 6.30 for the pregame. That's a big game. Then you have to go back out to at Montreal the next week before you finally get that home game on April 29th, which we're all so desperate for. But remember, these games count. I know they're road games and it's tough. It's the fifth out of six straight. And then you got the next one going all the way back east to Montreal. I get it. But if you're LAFC, you need a point. Just get a result. I am not a guy who likes to go out and play for a draw. I'm not talking about going out and playing for nil-nil. That is a recipe for disaster. But if you're LAFC, if you're Bob Bradley, you got to look at this thing. Let's go score a couple of goals and make sure we get a result. That's the key. Get the offense back clicking. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people in this day and age of world football, they don't often worry about like, oh, we have to get our goals through our forward. Right? So a lot of times it's like you hold up the ball, get those wingers cutting in on some nice angles. And Latif Blessing and Diego Rossi have certainly done that. Were it not for the bad carpet at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, there were a couple of passes that probably would have connected on regular turf early in that game against Brad Guzan and the Atlanta defense. That could have changed everything. But in fairness, ball went sliding away a little bit too soon from Carlos Vela especially, and you could see the frustration early, and it just didn't click. Now, they're making good runs. They're scoring goals from the wing. They're getting goals. they got to get goals for Urania. Marco Urania's got to score goals. You can have a forward out there setting things up and playing well. That's fine. He's got a couple of assists. I got no problem with it. You got to start banging goals. You got to be a threat against the defense to know that you're not just going to hold the ball up and look to pass. Meaning he has to be able to turn and score. And he can, just hasn't quite happened yet. That's got to happen for LAFC. You have to add another layer of danger. They start watching you on film, and if the only guys are scoring are Rossi, Vela, and you know a couple of goals here and there, they can stop Rossi and Vela if they want. Someone else has to pick up the slat. That has to be Marco Arena up front. And it's not as though, if you're looking at LAFC for depth, it's not as though I'm sitting here saying, you know, maybe they ought to start this guy. And no! Marco Arena is the starting forward. It has to be. I'm not talking about benching him. He's playing fine. couple of assists, as I said. He's actually set up a few more. Hit the post in the Galaxy game that would have changed everything. That would have made it 4-3 LAFC, if you remember. Had a great turn. So that it, it's almost more just, it just has to go in for him. He's had some opportunities, just missing on a few t- things. Still want him to set up the football like he has. Can't take away that part of his game. I'm not looking for him to get more selfish. You just got to get a break. It's just got to go in for him, and then he's got to start the goal tally. And that will change so much for LAFC because it will alleviate so much of that pressure now on Rossi and, and Latif Blessing and the guys making the back. Because remember, Diego Rossi came out with such flair and so much drama with the goals and the assists that everybody's watching out for him now. They're going to try to shut him down. He's job one, even beyond Carlos Vela. 
you know Carlos Vela's great. You know you're not going to stop him. You're just going to try to slow. You're, you're going to try to shut down Diego Rossi if you're battling. That's where Marco Arrhenia has to get on the score sheet. Absolutely. Must have it. That is your black and gold breakdown. And that is exactly the recipe LAFC must have. Get a couple of goals. Get a point. Get a result against Vancouver and turn this thing back in the right way. Again, no time to panic. This is a long season. Nobody's worried. Nobody's dying over a couple of losses because they had a couple of wins that were nice. They were beautiful. And as as good as it is to get a couple of victories and then you suffer through a couple of losses, it's all about the point total. And after six games on the road, I want seven points. There, I said it. I want seven points. We're not there yet if you're LAFC. You got, you're stuck at six, so get the seventh point. And you know what? Then if you get it against Vancouver, you play well against Vancouver. Let's say you get the result. Say it's a tough game. Say it's 2-2. Great game. Back and forth. Now you go into Montreal. You know what? You're playing on house money. Let's go. Bet it all, right? Let's just bet it all on black and let's see what happens. Bet it all on black and gold and see if we can double our money. Because you go there with the seven points in your pocket and you take a chance and try to get three more. You don't just play for a draw that go into Vancouver, get a result, then you can go after it like gangbusters against Montreal. And then look out. Then you got that home stretch, right? Five out of six at home. Bam, bam. I mean, we're talking like game after game after game at home. Let's let everybody else travel out here and take that long journey. And then get into that Bank of California stadium where the three, two, five, two, and everybody else is going to be pouring into that stadium the support for LAFC. LA Galaxy taking on Chicago in Chicago. Guess what? It's a sellout. What a surprise. The Zlatan effect. Chicago Fire is used to playing games in front of you, me, Mario, and about 17 other people. Well, now all of a sudden, looky, looky, they got a sellout at Toyota Park. Chicago Fire is a small franchise in MLS. They are. Now, that's not no disrespect to the city. It's a good soccer market. And to the people who go to games... It always sounds like you're mocking the people who actually... No, they're the people who go. They're great fans. Chicago has great fans. They just don't have enough of them for the city that it is. It's a small team in MLS. Always have kind of had smaller aspirations since some very early success with Bob Bradley as their manager. They've kind of been a small club. It's starting to shake out of that a little bit lately. Obviously, bringing in Bastian Schweinsteiger, Nikola, uh, Nikola Nemanjic, very good player. They had David Akam running, made the trade for that. I like what Chicago's doing. Make no mistake in terms of building a team. But it's a small it's a small club, and now they're going to wait for a guy like Zlatan to come in and sell it out. And that's fine. That's exactly the kind of effect he's going to have, Right? I beg your pardon. I totally butched his name. It's Nemanja Nikolic, of course. I've watched the guy play for years. Not only for Hungary, but for you know Europa and all the other stuff I've been covering over the years. Nikolic is very good. Thanks for uh, squaring me off with the name there. I totally butchered that. But yeah, I mean, he is very good. And they, they, uh, that was a great signing. Not just a good signing. He's the kind of guy that they, they needed to bring in, Chicago Fire. Guy's got nearly 30 goals in a season and a half or whatever it's been for them. Nikolic is tough. They got a good, solid group there. 
But it's a team that you you got to go in if you're the Galaxy. You know you can steal three points there, even against a, a team that's going to have a big crowd because half of the team, people are going to be watching for Zlatan. So it's a game that the Galaxy got to have, too. You got to right the ship a little bit here. You can't look a loss to Sporting Kansas City. There's no shame in that, but they did not play particularly well offensively. You got to start clicking, getting some people back, get them healthy. It's time to turn that around. Hit me up on Twitter at Talk Soccer. You can follow us on Instagram, Dave underscore Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly. I am Dave Denholm. You are listening to the home of world football. Breck Shea of the Vancouver Whitecaps will be joining us in just moments here on ESPNLA 710 in the ESPN app. Soccer Weekly, ESPNLA 710. You are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. I am Dave Denholm. And coming up tomorrow, Friday, we're going to have the Vancouver Whitecaps hosting LAFC. We'll have the game right here as the home of LAFC, ESPNLA 710, and the ESPN app. And joining me from the Whitecaps is a midfielder defender, Breck Shea. Breck, thanks for taking the time, buddy. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. Breck, i got to ask you, uh, Vancouver, now coming into this match a team that's off to a pretty good start. You guys are coming off of a tough loss to RSL, but overall playing pretty well this season. What do we expect? If we're if you're an LAFC fan and you haven't seen much of Vancouver, what kind of team are you guys putting out there? What style of play is going on for 2018 in Carl Robinson's side? Uh, a tough team. Uh, explosive team. I mean, we're a hard team to break down, and we, uh, we, we go pretty fast the other way. Breck, when, I, when you talk about this team with the offensive talent you guys have had, first and foremost... Uh, you guys seem to be able to get goals from a lot of different places on the pitch, certainly bringing in a guy like Kai Kamara and other talent that you have brought in this season. This is an offensive team, a dangerous team, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to, to start off, I think our defense is really good. Um, and we, we turn around and go the other way really well. I mean, obviously adding Kai this year gives us a huge threat, um, whether it's speed or holding the ball up. It just gives us another dynamic that we didn't have last year. We're talking with Breck Shea. You know him from playing with the U.S. men's national team. Also spent some time in Orlando. Breck, you've had an interesting career. We'll get to what's going on this season a little bit. You spent time over in England, elsewhere. You spent, as I mentioned, time in MLS as well. Talk a little bit about your journey as a soccer player. It's never a straight path necessarily for any player. You've had some interesting twists and turns in your career. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I've been playing for a while now, and I've really enjoyed it, whether it's looks like it's been good or bad. I've always enjoyed it and, and learned a lot as a player on and off the field, whether it be um, playing in Dallas, Orlando, and England, and now in Vancouver. I've been all over the world, and it's been fun and been a great experience for me. What do you like about that city? I hear nothing but good things about Vancouver. I mean, if you could look at it right now, you'd be jealous. It's sunny <laughs> today. It's, uh, it's a pretty place and pretty people. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun to be here, uh, especially in the summer. So. Nothing can beat it. Now we're talking with Breck Shea, who's a defender and a midfielder for Vancouver, who is the next opponent for LAFC coming up here Friday night. Uh, Breck, your season's been very interesting to me. I know the words super sub are thrown around a lot in soccer, and it doesn't usually fit, but man, you are getting the job done. Coming off the bench, you've had one start, but you've been playing in every game, and three goals already this season. I mean, that is that is a real threat that a lot of MLS teams don't quite have. I mean, you guys obviously have a lot of depth on this team with you coming off the bench. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, this is one of the, the biggest squads I've been a part of. I mean, all credit to the coaching staff to, to keep them active. We have a, a nice rotation and keep everyone fresh. But, uh, yeah, come, as anytime you're a sub, you try and come in and make an impact and uh, try and change, uh, change the game. Well, you absolutely have done that. You've changed it for Vancouver for the positive. 
oftentimes this season and even uh, starting last season getting a lot of looks as well with this team. Breck, what about this club? I saw you guys were training in Southern California in the preseason a little bit. In fact, I was actually doing a uh, banquet one evening, and you guys were actually having a team dinner in the room next door to me in the hotel that you were staying at there. So what was the experience like so far this season putting this team together? Because Vancouver, uh, Carl Robinson, he shuffled the deck a lot this season. He brought in a lot of new players with this team. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is my, my first year with the team in preseason. It's always good to to go through preseason with the team into the season. Um, and a lot, like you said, a lot of new faces, so everyone gets to know each other, and um, the camaraderie gets better and better each week. And um, it's been good so far this year, I believe. Now, you guys, when you see an expansion team, let's be realistic. You guys are talking about these teams, what you're thinking of them, what they're looking like. What is the word about LAFC that's going on around the league right now so far? Um, I think they've been uh, an exciting team to watch. I mean, all their games, are, um, there's been a lot of goals they've been scoring and stuff like that, so they're a fun team to watch and obviously a threat. So um, obviously we're excited to, to go up against them tomorrow. What is it about MLS, Breck, where you see a team like LAFC get off to a nice start, a couple of big wins, actually rolling in goals against RSL, and then just a couple of weeks later they get destroyed by Atlanta United? 5-0 over the weekend. What is it about MLS specifically that sometimes lends, you know, you see these results that you just kind of scratch your head at times? Yeah, I think uh, this league is any game's up for grabs. I mean, there's no yeah. game that you're walking into guaranteed three points. So um, I think that keeps it interesting and you have to be on your toes at all times. Now, Breck, you're a guy who, uh, you know, has certainly been a big personality in MLS for a long time. Who do you uh, who do you hang out with on that team? You got some closer friends in Vancouver. Have you been able to establish some uh, maybe a little bit closer friendships with a couple of players? Oh uh, yeah, obviously uh, I'm good friends with quite a few of the guys, but um, probably Aaron Mon the most. Yeah, uh, go way back to, to youth uh, national team and stuff like that. Do you know uh, any of the players coming out of LAFC now? Have, did you ever play around with? Like, were you there with Walker back in the day? I know he's a little bit younger. Not too much younger than you, though, with FC Dallas. Yeah, uh, Walker was drafted to uh, Dallas um, as I was leaving. Yeah, so, I mean, I spent a few months with him. Um, obviously, I know Jordan Harvey from last year. Uh, I mean, obviously, I know quite a few of the guys just from the league. Well, he is uh, tearing it up right now for Vancouver Whitecaps. Three goals so far in six appearances. They've had six games played for Vancouver. He's a U.S. national team player. Breck Shea. Breck, thanks for taking the time joining us here on Soccer Weekly, man. Appreciate it. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me. You bet. That's Breck Shea, Vancouver Whitecaps, and expect him to make a difference. He's been doing that for Vancouver, especially coming off the bench for Carl Robinson's side. And, if, and, you know, I mentioned it briefly there, but it is such a factor in Major League Soccer to have that depth. When you can have a guy like Breck Shea coming off your bench, and, you know, certainly he's going to get starts throughout the year, with the way seasons go, long season, 34 games. But right now, he's establishing himself as a real threat. Three goals. I mean, it's among the league-leading goal scorers now, and he's and he's doing that in, I think, less than 250 minutes in six games. And one of those was a start. So in five sub-appearances, which you're talking a handful of minutes in each game, the guy's making a difference. He did score in the RSL loss. That was in stoppage time. They had a chance to come back and tie it. They never could quite get another real good opportunity in stoppage time. But Breckshay's goal made it 2-1. That was the loss to RSL in the most recent game. Three goals on the season. We appreciate him taking the time. But it does. It it lends a little bit of an insight into what Vancouver has. I've been studying this team more, getting ready for LAFC's game. You'll hear it right here. I'll have the radio call coming up 
tomorrow night here, Friday at 7 p.m. Actually, it's a kickoff that's right around 7, like 7.01, so be alert to that. You'll, you'll hear it right here on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app, but it is a team that's really deep as I study them. As I've been watching the film on them and taking a look at this team, uh, Carl Robinson's side has plenty of options. And you know what? Look, they had a the game against RSL on the road. It points to what Breck and I talked about just briefly there. It is hard to get points on the road in MLS. I don't care what team you are. Case in point, RSL at home. RSL's not a great team. They've struggled. I mean, LAFC ran them over in the second game, and they have had their moments. Now, they've had picked up some points along the way, but at home... RSL's tough. That's what made LAFC's impressive win all the more impressive. RSL beat Vancouver at home just a few days ago, and then RSL last night goes to New York City, right? they got to make that cross-country trip, and NYCFC destroys them 4-0. It is about winning games at home and nicking as many points as you can on the road, which is why, again, we keep talking about it with LAFC. Getting those first two wins on the road cannot be minimized. Six points was huge to get off of that start. Not because you're thinking, oh, look out, we're gonna this is gonna be a season where we get twenty-eight wins and we break the record all time. And no, you're just trying to stay afloat with six road games to start the season. It could have been a whole lot worse. Now I know looking at the score lines, you know, the LA Galaxy game, that's gonna sting for a long time for LAFC fans and the team being up 3-0 that early. But then, you know, the Atlanta United game, that was a 2-0 game. We talked about it. It was a 2-0 game that got out of hand late. But still, you weren't going to beat Atlanta at home that day. That was going to be a, that was a loss throughout. They did LAFC did not win and or but rather did not deserve to win that game by any means. This is not that was no fluke. So the point being, you got to get points whenever you can on the road. In any way, shape, or form. I don't care. I used to joke about how, oh, you want to see some good attacking football. Yes, of course. You would like that. But if your team goes on the road and wins by some nasty own goal, (laughs) who cares? One nail by the worst own goal in history? Yeah, I'll take it. Get the points. Get on the plane and come home. That's all you can do in MLS. That's what makes it so unique. Now, people talk about how they don't love the league. or Yeah, okay, whatever. You want to beef about it? That's fine. I love it for the very fact that you just don't know what's going to happen often, and yet it's so hard to win on the road. It is such an equalizer with the travel and the distances and the way the, the t- surfaces. Bottom line, LAFC had a tough time delivering that final through ball in Atlanta on that turf, that field turf. They did. It was skipping around. It's different than the field turf in Seattle. That's different than the field turf in Portland. That's different than the field turf in Vancouver. And you have to adjust to that. It makes it tough on the road. And that's exactly why any point you can scrape across. I really believe this. I'm not looking forward now with LAFC with the two road games. they got to take care of business against Vancouver. Then they have one against Montreal. But if we're looking at them both as a talk show host, I'm allowed to do this, right? The team's not going to look forward, but I can. they got to get one more point out of these two games. I think if you come in with seven points from six tough road matches to start your history, I think you got to shake your head and say, yeah, okay, I can live with that. Now, anything beyond that is gravy. Of course you want to go out and win the next two games and get back on track and really just start pummeling teams. Yeah, of course. But secretly, I think everybody would be happy with seven points. Get out and get away. Get out and get a tie here somewhere 
in the next two. Now, remember, you got another tough trip going all the way back to Montreal next week. So let's not look ahead too much. Let's just get the point or more against Vancouver. And it's a team that hasn't had a lot of home home games. They've only had played two home games themselves out of six. So we'll see what happens again. That broadcast coming up tomorrow night right here on the home of LAFC. ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. It's also the home of Soccer Weekly. We're hanging out with you. So much more still to come, including as we get going here, you know stoppage times on the horizon with the great Mario Rees to wrap up the show. That's coming up later on in the show. I am Dave Denholm. You are listening to Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm. Welcome back to uh, our broadcast here each and every week. And look, I want to remind you that Soccer Weekly, you can find us on iTunes. Don't forget, check out the podcast there each and every week. The pod, Any podcatcher you use. We also send the show out on Twitter at my Twitter, which is Talk Soccer at Talk Soccer. Subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate it, and we appreciate the support that's going on out there for Soccer Weekly here. Big game coming up for LAFC. You'll hear it right here on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app, the 6.30 pregame tomorrow evening, 7.01 kickoff for the LAFC game against Vancouver, visiting the Vancouver Whitecaps. It'll be a big one there. we got a big uh, health report to get to. This health report on Soccer Weekly sponsored by LA Care. As the nation's largest community-inspired health plan, LA Care is elevating health care in the city of Angels. LA Care for all of LA. LACare.org. A very good injury report, relatively speaking, for LAFC. We know Luis Lopez, the goalkeeper, haven't seen him yet. He's still struggling, uh, trying to get back to full fitness. Omar Gabber, who had the LCL sprain in the right knee in the game for Egypt a couple of weeks ago. He was practicing this week. We saw him running around. Now, again, that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be ready to play. We'll still have to wait and see on that in terms of timing. But uh, Omar was back on the pitch and getting some work in. So that's good news there after suffering that strain and that injury for playing for Egypt. Vancouver comes into this match against LAFC. Uh, Jordi Reyna and Eric Hurtado are banged up. Now, Sean Franklin hasn't played all year. He's yet to play this season. He's got a quad strain. Not sure he's going to see any action, but Reyna and Hurtado, keep an eye on them. A couple of offensive-minded players who can make a difference, but they have been kind of banged up and struggling a little bit health-wise. We'll see if that has a factor for Vancouver. Otherwise, both teams reasonably healthy. Do have a note of health around the world's game. Schalke, the German Bundesliga club, announced that their Serbian defender, Matej Nastasic, is going to miss the rest of the Bundesliga season. He's got a knee ligament injury. And why this is important, of course, for Schalke, but also for your World Cup preparation for Serbia. It's unclear about his World Cup availability now with this knee injury. Nastasic, a very good defender for Serbia. That's a tough group anyway. Brazil, Costa Rica, Switzerland, and Serbia. So just keep that in the back of your mind. If you're getting ready to make your picks for the World Cup coming up. And I got a game we're going to be playing later here on Soccer Weekly. A buddy and I kind of discovered that, not discovered it, we kind of came up with a little uh, game we like to play when it comes to World Cup time. We'll definitely be doing that. Got a few buddies who play that with me each and every World Cup cycle. We'll be getting to that coming up here on Soccer Weekly as we get closer and closer to the World Cup. Holy cow. We're talking about weeks now. It's really just hours away, essentially. (laughs) <laughs> for what's going down with the World Cup and L3 especially. We'll see how they fare. Now, it is always time for our favorite time of the show. It's never too early to head out to stoppage time here on Soccer Weekly. Stop. What time is it? It's stoppage time! Yeah. It's stoppage time! Yeah. It's stoppage time! Right now! 
Stoppage time is brought to you by Puente Hills Chevy. Find new roads at Puente Hills Chevy off the 60 freeway in the city of industry, the San Gabriel Valley Chevy store. Say habla espanol. Time now for our host of Stoppage Time. He is the great producer of this show, the great Mario Reyes. Mario, welcome back, buddy. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. And you were talking about the World Cup there. Now, Comedy Bowl, uh, South America's Football Confederation, has implored FIFA to increase the number of nations competing in the 2022 World Cup from 32 teams to 48 teams. Now, we know they've been talking about 48 in the future, right? I didn't know the future was going to be so soon here. 2022. So that would be the next World Cup. Yeah, the next one. I don't love the move to 48 anyway. I hate that. I think 32 is a great number. If you want to expand, as crazy as it sounds, you should just double it to 64. I know that's that's a lot. But the 32 is like a perfect number with the eight teams, four in each group, or eight groups, four teams in each group. It's great. This 48 garbage, it just, uh, it's, it, there's way too many ways you can mess that up, Mario. I yeah. just don't like it at all. And I understand teams want to get in. I get it. But there should still be something to play for in qualification. Qualification for the World Cup is awesome. But wouldn't this mean more games, more World Cup games? Yeah, well, that's exactly what it would mean in all likelihood. And that would be more revenue. Don't get me wrong. I understand why they're doing it. Uh-huh. Right? From a business perspective, it makes some kind of sense. You can also now, if you expand these World Cups, it makes it easier to go to the three nations hosting or four nations splitting it, you know, and then it's more games to spread right. around a little bit. You don't have to have one nation having all that burden, so to speak, for all those games. Mm-hmm. Some nations can handle it, certainly. But even the United States bid for 2026 includes Canada and Mexico, of course, because we assume it's going to expand into 48 teams minimum. But if you're going to do this stuff, then let's go to 64 teams, dang it. Let's put it in four countries or whatever, especially when you consider like Conmebol or Europe. A lot of times there's nations that are close enough in proximity. Not always, but, you know, and certainly there's some places at the bottom of, you know, Argentina that are far away from the rest of Conmebol, maybe. I get that, or, you know, or, or Chile that goes all the way down the coast. But by and large, you can get three or four nations in Europe or South America that are close to each other, that are actually very close to each other in proximity where you could split up these games and really go ahead and have a big time World Cup. If you're going to do it, let's do it. But I don't I don't like it. I like the 32 teams, Mario, because I like qualification to mean something. The United States didn't qualify and they didn't deserve it. They were awful. But if we go to 64, they might. Yes, and it, but it took 10 years. It took two full years of that badness. Like, Italy didn't qualify. It took a while for them not to qualify. Like Argentina it, almost didn't qualify. Almost didn't qualify. It's a, it's a struggle, but that's the way it should be. Those qualification games are huge. They mean something. Let's keep the meaning with the World Cup qualification. Don't just make it like, well, all these teams are pretty much always going to qualify. I want I want Iceland to have earned it. And it's such a great story because of that, you know, and it, it makes it even better. That's what makes the World Cup so special. Stop it, time! Dave, I got some uh, football cheese man for you. Oh, the cheese I man. Just got, I just got done with my barber. Just got out of the chair. Nice. And uh, he got me some juicy stuff here. Your, uh, your hairdresser, nice. Uh, my barber, Dave. Come on. <laughs> it's a barber. <laughs> <laughs> Italian star Mario Balotelli could be on the verge of making the move to MLS. Now, Grant Wall has reported that Balotelli's agent, uh, Mino Raiola, has been contacted by DC United. Mm, okay, well, you know, this got me, my ears perked up, of course, as I read that from Grant Wall, great reporter, and uh, he usually has his sources spot on, so there must be something to this. And I thought, you know, the, my first instinct is D.C. United's getting this new stadium. They're going to go into Audi Field a little bit later this year. It's a kind of a minor club. 
No disrespect to them, but they've hit on hard. Remember, Galaxy fans know that DC United was was the club to battle LA in the first few years of oh, MLS. Yeah. I mean, they were it was going back and forth on who was the most dominant in right. history. They faded. They've absolutely faded. They need something now. The new stadium will help. There's reports that they're going to possibly get some new ownership blood coming in, kind of replace a guy who's there. Uh, actually, one of the uh, reports are rumors are that the LA billionaire is going to be one of those uh, people who buys into DC. We'll see if that happens, and. They need it badly. And I thought, you know, Balotelli, though, I mean, I, you know, I thought, oh, come on, he's a little over the hill. I, he's not Zlatan, you know, in terms of talent even. He's a great player. Then I looked it up. Over 20 goals in France yet again this season in all competitions. He's 27 years old. 27. Now, Mario, if I would, would have told you or asked you, how old is Mario Balotelli? 30-something. 30-something. 27, wow. 27. I know that. I mean, check on that again, because did I misread that or was that a misprint? Because it feels like Balotelli's been around for 22 years in the, uh, you know, the big part of the game. I know he's like, he's got that kind of reputation and, and he's got some, uh, you know, stories follow him in the sense that he's always wants to be that story. He's a big personality. Certainly, but I, I I could have sworn I read he was twenty seven. There's a lot of teams still showing interest in him. Yeah, too. this guy was born in like according to Wikipedia, you know, taken for he was born in August of nineteen ninety. He's twenty seven. Oh, he's a baby. He's a baby. <laughs> he's a kid. Sign him up. Juventus has interest in him. Roma, Napoli, yeah, it, Inter. It, there's no guarantee he's going to land here. Now right. remember, I believe Mino Raiola, the big super agent, is yeah. the agent of Zlatan. So you know, I mean, at least there's some kind of. You know, history there, and right. I mean, he's certainly a super agent, and uh, but you know, he's not fearful of bringing a client over here if it makes sense. So that could be another thing too, you know, and in terms of MLS and all that, maybe there's a little bit to it here with you know Balotelli. Boy, I you know, I got to tell you, 27 years old, bring him. Bring them now. Dave, according to multiple reports in Germany, Nico Kovac will be the next coach of Bayern Munich. Oh, I love this guy. Kovac will receive a two-year contract and take over in July. He's one of my favorite managers in the world, what he's done with Eintracht Frankfurt. A smaller club, certainly a a well-respected club and has a lot of support over in Germany. Not like a world stage well-known club. And he's really done a great job with that club. They were a team that was teetering, kind of you know, mid-level, middling kind of club. Could have been in danger of kind of slipping a little. No, he's really done a good job. He's got to be in contention for a European spot. And more importantly, he's getting more out of the club than the roster would, you, if you took a glance at it, would seem that he could get in Germany right now. There's teams with better rosters, in my humble opinion. And Niko Kovac has gotten a lot out of this team. I love him. He's a no-nonsense kind of guy. I wanted him to be the kind of manager that could end up either for the U.S. men's national team someday soon or coming into MLS, which I thought would be great. Now, that's obviously a little bit of a pipe dream in terms of where his career trajectory is going. But for the U.S. national team, I thought he would be perfect. Looks like Bayern Munich beat me to the punch. Once again, Mario Rees, all I do is know this beautiful game, right? I say Nico Kovac is the next up-and-coming manager. Bayern Munich says, Denholm, you're right. Boom. Boom. <laughs> also, I told John Thorrington from LAFC a little while ago, he asked me one time who I would pick in the expansion, Jeff. I said Bill Tuoloma, a young uh, midfielder playing for Portland at the time. Boom, he's starting to die, play really well for Portland. What do I know? What do I know about the beautiful game? Nothing but everything here at Soccer Weekly. Thanks so much to the great Mario Reyes. Thanks to Michael Funches and everybody else here. I am Dave Denholm, and you have been listening to Soccer Weekly here on ESPN LA 710.